loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired to create a deeper life to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Welcome, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm talking with Daniel Kenner. Daniel's a proud member of Actors' Equity, SAG-AFTRA, and National Players Tour 60, Presidential Arts Scholar at George Washington University, and Scholarship Recipient at British American Drama Academy. He directed the Washington, D.C. premiere of Sarah Kane's Crave. He's also the author of the manuscript Rue and winner of the Rhode Island Playwriting Festival for his World War II Letters Home drama, Fields of Sacrifice. His mother, Maureen Kenner, with whom he's a co-author's heart, was in the classroom. For 35 years, she was a special education teacher in the Providence Public Schools, and a vital influence at the Varton Gregorian Elementary School at Fox Point, where she worked tirelessly as a mentor for the betterment of all children and their families. She was honored with many accolades throughout her career and was awarded Providence Teacher of the Year in 2003. For 31 years, through sickness and health, Maureen was the beloved soulmate of the late Jacob Buddy Kenner. Welcome, welcome, Dan. Hey there, how are you? I'm fine. I want to clarify that your book that we're they're mostly here to talk about, Room for Grace, uh, you co-wrote with your mother, but I get the impression you interviewed her before her death and then um, uh, put it together and edited, edited it and made a book out of it after her death. Do I have that correct? Yeah, absolutely. Room for Grace came out on October 2nd. And uh, for my mom and dad's 30th wedding anniversary, which was September 29th, 2015, I just really needed a project to kind of keep me close with my family. Unfortunately, on Valentine's Day 2013, my dad was diagnosed with dementia. And four months later, my mom was diagnosed with stage four cancer. Uh, I always like to joke that my dad was my favorite parent. And a lot of those stories were kind of disappearing that I love so much. So I had this idea to kind of get us all together. So we went to Bar Harbor, Maine for about a week and I oral history, my mom, and it ended up being about 30 hours. Um, uh, and it kind That's of, a lot of hours to be asking one's mother questions. <laughs> <laughs> none, of, none of my kids have been so inspired so far. <laughs> there was only one question that my mom wouldn't answer. So out of 30, 30 hours, there were really was a lot of content. And then... Yeah, for about a year, I worked on it, transcribing it and editing it. And then it ended up being the last Christmas gift that I gave my mom, the first draft of Room for Grace. And then about a week later, we went to a hotel and we kind of holed up there for about four days and she read it over with me and we kind of changed some stuff and did some stylization. Um yeah, but the book that that's out now, Room for Grace, this is the 10th draft. So there's been a lot of work done between now and 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 that kind of really cold winter. What the the detail that that wasn't there is that um, 
after your dad was a, a ways into dealing with uh, d- uh, dementia, cognitive impairment, your mom was diagnosed with cancer. And I know that these kind of overlaps where two big things are going on at once are really especially challenging. How did your family cope with that? It, it is pretty startling, to be honest, when something like that happens. And I think for me personally, at least, I was kind of in a level level of stasis. I was almost too shocked. I didn't kind of, my legs were kind of taken out from under me. I would like to say that the family was so strong, to be honest. My mom has two sisters and two brothers and a healthy mom and a healthy dad. And I've got plenty of cousins and other aunts and nieces and nephews. And I have two half brothers. And what really happened was that the community rallied behind our family for about four years. And we never, ever felt alone. And I can, I can say that truly, that I could not have gone through the 63 chemotherapies plus seven months on hospice that I ended up doing with my mom, uh, if it wasn't for the help of others. I, I think it was really scary for not only the family, but for my mom as well, knowing that her husband had just been diagnosed with frontotemporal lobe dementia. And FTD kind of attacks the brain that deals with behavior and problem solving and emotion control and speech. Uh, we were kind of warned to be prepared for aggression and a loss of empathy and dysphagia and a cult loss of cultural inhibitions. So I think it was really scary for my mom to be diagnosed knowing that she didn't have her husband and her partner there. And there's a really, I think there's a beautiful chapter in Room for Grace called No Longer My Person. Mm. When my mom goes in with my dad, Buddy, and they go to the doctor and they she finds out that she has cancer and he's just not able to be her person any longer. And she has to then sign over the right, the power of attorney to her sister. And so I think that was really difficult for her. And then the more that she got into her cancer, the more life turned upside down. She was afraid that she wouldn't be able to fulfill her vows to her husband. Yes. Um, so... Yeah, it was it, it was a long journey. And then I, I guess that's why, you know, my mom, my dad was my best friend, like I said, and it kind of took my dad's disease to see how much my dad was able to be himself because of my mom. And so I guess the, the gift that I gave my mom, I knew that I needed to be there purely just because of all of the hard work and all the love and the devotion through all the struggles that she was there for my dad. And I knew that I had to be there for her. You know, I have a, I have a close friend whose first, her, whose husband died of, of uh, cognitive impairment, dementia, that broad category. And a way that she described what you're talking about is that she said he didn't track her anymore. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and I thought that really captured it. And and she felt that as a tremendous, tremendous loss. Uh, I think she was pretty aware that he had tracked her, but you can't be as aware of something while it's happening as you are when it's missing. Mm. Um, so I, as I was reading, I was thinking of my friend in terms of your mother, that um, she went through all of those huge experiences without her... Um, 
her tracker, her person to yeah. kind of share the experience with. I think that's really, really difficult until you realize that I think other people knew that and I think other people stepped up purely for that reason. Yeah. But there's also, here they are uh, living together with the dangers of, and you and uh, it does go into it a bit in the, in the book, you know, being afraid your dad would, walk off right or or leave a burner on or whatever it is um it must have been very difficult for her not to be able to take the kind of care of him that she would have had she been well i think so but i i think there was this interesting dynamic that because mom was a special education teacher for 35 years in providence rhode island uh, elementary public school and unfortunately the disease you know, she had to retire because of that. And she made it very clear that she, there were many downsides to retiring. She wasn't ready to det- to retire. And I think she lost almost a little bit of her identity knowing that she couldn't go to the classroom anymore. But definitely one of the upsides of retiring was being home and being able to learn next to my dad and getting out in front of and knowing what he needed. Uh-huh. I think she would have see that that time if she was in school. And so I think that she she had the really kind of uncanny ability to count that as a blessing. Well, and that does fit in with the theme of this show, that the map isn't the territory, that things can look as if they will only be terrible, and then they're terrible plus plus stuff. <laughs> so that would that would be something unexpected that actually her illness allowed her to be home and she was able to appreciate that part of it. I'm sure that helped her navigate. I think so. One thing that really stood out in the book, of course, was that uh, she didn't stop telling the stories of her students that she she may not have been in the classroom, but I feel I got to know a lot of the the children that she worked with and what really struck me and I would like you to talk more about this in her is her capacity to see uh, every child you know in a special education room so uh, kids with particular challenges that made it impossible that for them to be in a mainstream classroom she saw the potential for each of them to do something very meaningful yeah uh, that seemed universal for her. Did I did I uh, capture that correctly? Absolutely. I, I, I think you really hit the nail on the head there. Um, my mom, you know, she liked to say that at 12 years old, she knew exactly what she wanted to do. And she got to live her dream. And I think that's something that's so ama- truly amazing about my mom. And I think that's something that kind of makes her quote unquote, an unbelievable character for this Room for Grace book is that we are following a woman who got to follow her dream. She was so inspired by all of the children. And I think it was, it it just, it never left her heart. And there is one part in the book where she's talking about how the year that she was sick, she, the first year she had to be out and she took the year off and she had a student named Lynn and Lynn had a sister and who had graduated the year before in my mom's class. But my mom felt that she wasn't able to finish her time with Lynn. And I think she 
she was really afraid if she wasn't able to give Lynn what she needed because she had so much potential and she wasn't able to finish that with my mom. And so I think that there were a lot of morals and virtues that my mom found in the children over 35 years that literally kept her going through sitting in the chemo chair and then coming home to kind of the disaster of having a husband with the dementia and then further along having a husband who was almost paralyzed with incomplete spine disorder. It was literally the kids' stories that kept my heart, my mom's heart beating for, you know, the last seven months. That that part really stood out. And I wasn't sure how much happened in the editing and how much was the way that she experienced it. But it seemed to me as if she, and maybe you too, because you were so involved in the project, uh, in a way she uh, took, her kids gave back to her by inspiring her in terms of um, the hard things that they'd been able to do. Uh, It seemed almost to me like it made it more possible in her mind for who to, her to do these terribly hard things. I, I think having been a teacher to children with challenges and setbacks and hardships and limitations, it really taught her how to keep pushing forward, empathetic and tough, for sure. And of course, uh, I, I'm kind of addicted to finding those stories. You know, <laughs> obviously, that's, that's what I do here. Uh, the ways in which we make something out of out of uh, what you'd think we could make nothing out of she those stories that she told in that time were just so um, impactful. I think it was really a true miracle. I mean, when you're when you're told that that you have one year left to live, I think you know. I obviously, I think anyone would start thinking about their legacy, and I think this book this time together gave my mom an opportunity to really reflect on the people she met over her life, the lessons that she learned and the kids that she got to teach within the classroom, knowing that through four years of cancer and through four years of frontal temporal lobe dementia, my mom had to stop being the teacher and she almost had to relearn how to be an exceptional student in a way. Mm. And At the beginning, I think that was really, really tough for my mom because she was always so gung-ho. And I I think that was a really powerful switch that once we realized that how were we going to talk about her life outside compared to her life inside the classroom? And we just found so many similarities and kind of a beautiful, beautiful threads connected together. We're doing this cool thing. There's a a project called Eye to Eye, and Eye to Eye started in my mom's classroom. And it would kind of pair children with learning disabilities with college students who had the same learning disabilities. And so when I knew that the book was going to be published, I really kind of wanted to, you know, kind of give outwardly my mom kind of always said that you know it's in giving that we receive so that in every purchase of the book 10 percent is going to be going to eye to eye so it's kind of really cool that 
were kind of associated with a project that once started in my mom in my mom's classroom in the early 90s. And what a tremendous project that is, because um, just to have that uh, visual of someone who is who's gone on to go to college with your exact uh, challenge. Sure. Yeah, uh, that that would make it, you know, I know that matters for lots of people uh, to see themselves in someone who is who's been able to do things, but yeah. maybe more so for um, kids with disabilities. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. And it's just it, it's important that we give a voice to those who can can and may sometimes be kind of, you know, unheard. Absolutely. So uh, we only have a couple more minutes till our break. And I want to begin talking and then continue just about your experience in this, because um, I don't you were what how what age were you when they were both uh, diagnosed? Let's see. I'm a Leo baby. I was born in 86. So I was. I was I was 25 years old. Yeah. So that's not unheard of, but young to face the loss of both your parents. I mean, (laughs) yeah. And it's just, it was, I live in Brooklyn and I'm pursuing and I'm pursuing acting and my parents lived in Providence, Rhode Island. And, you know, kind of all of a sudden to be uprooted, I needed a project to keep me coming home Let's talk about that more when we get back, because I think um, that intersection with being in sort of the launch period of a person's life, yeah. not the, you know, uh, it's different to be older and caring for parents. And then you are caring for two parents. <laughs> so I want to hear that how that was for you. Yes, you needed the project and you had that, but also you had an experience that was I'm sure unexpected. So let's talk about that when we get back. Absolutely. Listeners, you can find links to my website and social media, the Good Grief page at Voice America. Please uh, connect with me on all my social media so I know you're out there. Uh, Also, I've recently published a novel and you can find a link to the novel uh, on that page and the link will tell you more about it. And to find Daniel in his book, you can go to roomforgrace.org. Be back soon. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Today's woman faces a stressful world when it comes to staying healthy. We are bombarded by media messages with contradicting ideas about fitness and nutrition. We need to keep our diet, relationships, and stress in check. It's time to get the right message and have the most fun. Join hosts Andrea Beeman, Lisa Lutan, and Michelle Fenighaus for Healthy View Radio. It's health and happiness in one show every Thursday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. 
What sets apart VoiceAmerica.tv from the other video content providers on the Internet? Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main VoiceAmerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. There is a difference in health and wellness programs. There can be mainstream programs, and then there is something extra. That something extra is called tips to keep you healthy, happy, and motivated with your host, Kristen Harper. If you want to hear some behind-the-scenes talk radio when it comes to health and wellness, the why as well as the how, be sure to tune in each week. This show will inspire you to be healthy and happy for life, as well as become the best version of yourself. Listen Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health and Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Daniel Kenner. Uh, who co-authored the book Room for Grace with his mom, Maureen, uh, while she was ill and right before she died. And before the break, Dan, we were talking about um, being a younger, a young person trying to make a go of it, basically, uh, in the world. And of course, uh, I I know a lot about the theater world. Uh, making a go of it as an actor in New York is particularly challenging in some ways, um, which is what you were doing at the time. So, um, and I get the impression you were in Providence a great deal during this four-year period, which is very long. Um, And not, uh, I'm sure you were not expecting any of that at that stage of your life. So what was that like for you? There was about a year before where my dad's personality and some of his behaviors were slightly changing a little bit. So we were a little on guard um, and they kind of went through the whole kind of ruling out process, my mom and my dad. And then kind of when we got the final diagnosis, it gave us all a little bit room to breathe, to be honest, knowing that kind of there was a disease in his brain and that there was a reason things were going a little awry. And... I remember it being, I don't have 
kind of full memories during this period just because it was things were happening really, really quickly. I was in a relationship at the time and we just moved into a new apartment. I'd just gotten to work on Scorsese's Wolf of Wall Street. I worked on the Coen brothers inside Lewin Davis. And then all of a sudden, my best friends were about to be married in Maine. And I got a phone call letting me know that, uh, you know, there were some abnormal results for my mom's blood. She liked to be a a blood donor. And she found out that, again, she could not donate this time. And her doctor thought it was a case of anemia. And so she went to a specialist. And unfortunately, immediately she found out she had colon cancer. And by the time at the end of July, when she went in for surgery to have the tumor removed, it had already metastasized to her umbilicus. So by the time that she woke up in the hospital, it had already been to stage four. Um, I just remember the rest of that room uh, year being really difficult. I, I remember one of the first nights, the sec- I sat next to my mom's bed in the hospital the second night she was in the hospital. And I remember having, you know, a kind of a really beautiful, heartfelt one-on-one. And I said, okay, I I don't know if this is going to be that hard. But then there was something that happened kind of the distance away from Providence being in Brooklyn. It was really scary and really frightening knowing that every time I came home, there were slight changes happening with my mom and my dad. And... And then all of a sudden time just kind of kept fast forwarding in a way and kind of speeding up until, I guess, you know, 2015, uh, we were down in Florida and, and my mom liked to talk about my dad at this point really was having a hard time getting his words out. And my mom kind of equated it to a record skipping and she would give it about five seconds before trying to put the needle back on track. And so it's really at that point where I realized that I'm going to lose all of my dad's stories. Mm -hmm. And so I realized that I need to take this opportunity with mom to, to really get these stories down. At that time she had just met her palliative care doctor and she told her she had about a year to live. And so that's kind of, you know, I took the summer and I kind of prepared the oral history and then, and then off we went. So, excuse me, for about two years, I was going home, you know, maybe every six or eight weeks. And then starting in 2015, it probably went down to once a month. And then from Father's Day of 2016 until, unfortunately, my, my, parents passed early in 2017 I was there full-time I'm I'm trying to imagine too uh because they did die very close together which of course you may know isn't unusual um there's yeah, tell a- me more about that I, I always thought that that was just such a beautiful connection I guess I was always afraid you know with a diagnosis for FTD we were given anywhere from two to ten years Uh, But my mom's cancer was so aggressive that I kind of always believed that my mom would go first. And I think she truly made it her last mission to make sure that my dad was okay. Mm. And so that right when he went on February 20th, which ended up being the anniversary of one of my best friends 
died in the station nightclub fire on February 20th. Uh, so that was a nice anniversary to share. But then mom mm-hmm. died, you know, four weeks later, a week after her 60th birthday. So I know that she held on to make sure that, that my dad was taken care of. And I, I do hear that a lot of, you know, people when they're in love and when they're as close as my parents were and soulmates, they do end up going together. Can you tell me more about that? Well, I, I'm not an expert on it, but I I heard actually a radio interview with someone who's written a book about the heart, and um, he has studied, uh, apparently when you're grieving, your heart actually changes shape, mm. and then as you, as you kind of integrate the loss, begin to feel better, it changes back. Mm. Isn't wow. that profound? That really is. (laughs) Um, So, you know, he said, yes, indeed, you can die of a broken heart because if your heart has any any weakness, um, it won't withstand that is basically how he talked about it. Again, I'm no I'm no expert. He he is though. He's a cardiologist. Um, the guy who wrote the book, Kurt Vonnegut's. It was either Slaughterhouse Five or it was Cat's Cradle. And one of the characters was on the plane and he was talking to a woman and he was, and he heard about literally like a, and this is fictional, but a character's wife died and almost immediately the husband died purely just because the hearts couldn't live with one another. And I don't know if that's the story of my parents, but that's kind of something that I always think about. I, I don't it's, know. Why. It's so mysterious, isn't it? But, but in the case of your parents, um, it also is sort of it makes a kind of of sense too. It's it seems to me that they were so so connected that they actually did have a very good relationship. Yeah. And um, I was also thinking, reading about um, you know how difficult it is to deal with uh, someone's loss of cognitive function. But it is helped if you if if it's out of character with the rest of your relationship. Mm. You know, I've known people that had very trying relationships with a parent or a spouse, and they struggle a lot more. There kind of isn't the currency in the relationship for them to want to deal with all that. You know, so it was clear to me that your mom really did want to, even well, though and, it was such a challenge. And I mean. My dad might not have been able to do other things, but he never lost that light in his eye or that kind of crease in his eyebrow or the kind of crinkle in his smile when my mom would walk into a room. I mean, there were there were terrible, terrible days, and especially at the end in the subacute nursing home, there would just be awful days where things were gray and my mom could walk into a room for a visit and just immediately there would just be a little flush in his cheeks and a little kind of tremor in his fingers and his voices and that little pitch of excitement. Um, I mean, those are, those are the kind of moments that you're just so thankful to be at. And at the end of the day, it's about kind of those good visits that make you know that you're going to come back and have another hopefully good visit and to get you through the really difficult ones. And I, I'm on a, um, the first leg of my book tour right now and just kind of going back to what we were just talking about. I was just out in 
Cleveland, Ohio for a book reading at Fireside Bookshop. And uh, this amazing woman came up to me at the end of the reading and she said, well, it's so amazing that the book is called Room for Grace. Can you tell me why? And so I told her that it was a little bit of a wink because my mom taught in room four. And, uh-huh. <laughs> and she said, well, four is the number of angels. And I guess that's the sim- symbolic number that represents angels. And I just thought that was a really neat connection to kind of that somebody else kind of viewed it a different way. And, and surely that's, you know, that's yeah, where the kn- book is headed. I know from for from what's going on with my book right now that you can hear really surprising things you never would have thought thought about on your own about your book, yeah. <laughs> and it's it's quite a pleasure. I enjoy it a lot. So then, can I? Oh ask wow! You I didn't I didn't even see that. <laughs> what's something that What's something that you took away from the book so that I can be surprised right now? <laughs> um. I was I, I was just thinking of this, and the conversation moved too fast to capture it. But I thought it was incredibly poignant, and maybe you have thought of this, that your mom, who w- I would say was was a uh, definitely a giver on the spectrum of giver taker, definitely a giver, that her cancer was not discovered uh, because she wasn't feeling well and went to the doctor. It was discovered because she was giving, trying to give blood. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I know there was something you said about um, her having maybe not been to the doctor in a little bit too long, you know, but she made it to try to give blood. It <laughs> seemed to me that was a very poignant thing about her. And, and she started doing that because of, you know, after 9-11, she had a student who was really kind of concerned about all the firefighters helping in downtown New York and and the student suggested that they collect quarters for water to send to the firefighters and so my mom kind of figured well what am I going to do to help my community and and my country so she would go and she established the ritual of going to the Rhode Island Blood Center every few months on Saturday mornings and she'd go with a good book and she'd go for the chance to reflect on the importance of watching others serve the greater good. And I, I know that she enjoyed talking the ear off of all of the, you know, the people who worked at the blood center and they were right. so <laughs> complimentary. Just because, you're, just because you're giving blood doesn't mean you can't have a good time. huh? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so she thought about that girl when she would do it. And that's kind of, you know, what first made her get, go into um, the Rhode Island blood center. And then, and then eventually because, you know, of, of low iron, that's kind of how she found out that she had cancer. So even then our, her story was just so connected with all of her students through time. It, it was, and it was amazing. The students didn't stop showing up the first day of chemotherapy. My mom got a phone call from a prior student on Valentine's Day, there was a letter and a card in our bo- in our mailbox from a former student. There were neighbors and librarians and students out on our lawn for my mom's 60th birthday a week before she passed away, singing happy birthday with a huge sign. The Christmas before, they were on our lawn singing carols for a candlelight vigil. And literally, when I... When I went to the hotel with mom 
our waiter on the last morning after we'd kind of been in the hotel room for four days. We went downstairs to enjoy French toast and our waiter ended up being a student of hers from 27 years ago that she remembered just because of his broad grin. And she was telling me, and I like to get on my mom a little bit. And she said, no, I think that's my student. And I said, mom, you're just crazy. We've just been talking for four <laughs> days about all your students. We're just kind of just living in our memories right now. And she said, no, that is him. And I can recognize him because of his smile. And it had literally been 27 years. And because of a smile, my mom was able to remember. And so he put down the French toast and he said, I hate to ask you this, but are you Mrs. Kenner? And, you know, they remembered her too, whether it was that morning or whether it was coming by room four to bring their high school diplomas. Uh, you know, one, one student said, no one ever forgets a Mrs. Kenner. And I, <laughs> I, I was able to look at my mom like a superhero. And I just, I don't know. I think that's, that's so cool. You know, as a, as a therapist, I just want to say that people who had someone anyone who believed in them versus people who did not have that yeah. um, are able to heal a lot, uh, a lot better uh, because there's something planted in there that is an alternative viewpoint mm. to whatever it was that was happening. So I'm sure she made that kind of difference many times, many times. I think she got to teach in the classroom and encourage her her students not to use their handicap as an excuse. And uh, like she told me, I, you know, when you're handicapped, many times you're born with an extra chromosome. And she viewed that as literally being a superhero. <laughs> it's time for our second break. Uh, listeners, you can find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America. And you can find uh, Daniel at roomforgrace.org. Be back soon. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Ready to transform your health and your world? Join host Melissa Alexander for Insight Living with Vitality. Melissa and her guests go behind the scenes on what it takes for practitioners and clients to transform themselves and others. She provides insight to medical procedural breakthroughs, available product resources, and explains lifestyle choices designed to improve and expand your vitality. It's time to get rid of that baggage, remove those blockages, and prevent buildup from hindering your progress in life. Tune in every Monday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today with one thing that has been consistent, inconsistency. Both healthcare providers and patients have to work around and get used to a constantly changing set of rules and issues. Nurses have historically been left out of this decision-making. Listen to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. Health professionals, we invite you to share your ideas and experiences while listening to experts in various areas of nursing. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. 
Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all of our show archives on demand, all from your iOS, Amazon Kindle, or Android device. Download it from the Apple App Store, Amazon, or Google Play, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Daniel Kenner. Uh, one of the two authors of Room for Grace. And we have a caller who called during the break. As as listeners who listen a lot know, um, that's unusual. And I'm, I'm excited to welcome Alan and see what he'd like to ask. Oh, this is going to be Hi. good. Hi, well, Alan. Hi. How are you? Hi. I'm very Hello. well. How are you? I'm not sure how good it'll be, Dan, but there's something you may have overlooked in all of this. You kept them going. I was witness to it for many, many visits in too many different settings. But you talk about that crinkle in your dad's eye, you know, uh, when your mom would walk into the room. Well, sometimes I was there before you, and I, I need your viewership to know out there, and you in particular to know that, that crinkle in his eye. I saw it every time you walked into the room. And... Um, I think the outcome, and obviously the outcome was what it was, <clears throat> would have been so much less supportable had it not been for you and your strength and your beauty. That's really all I have to say. No jokes today, Dan. That's really nice of you to call in. That's uh, that's one of our best family friends, Alan. Uh, Alan grew up with my dad in Providence, Rhode Island, and him, my dad, and Alan's brother, Robert, were very, very close, kind of lifelong brothers. And uh, Alan's brother, unfortunately, was diagnosed with CJD. And I think Alan is able to recognize the same thing that I can of the duty and the need of love and heart and brotherhood. Uh, I know that Alan and his wife, Lori, and their family helped with Robert's last eight months of his life being there every day. And, and dad and mom were able to come down to Sarasota, Florida and be with the Henwerger family in their time of need. Mm. I, I think that was something really, really special. I, one thing I realized the other day that, you know, my grandmother had Alzheimer's and Robert had CJD. And then my dad was diagnosed with frontal temporal lobe dementia. And then my mom was diagnosed with cancer and it was, you know, I got to see my dad be there for my grandmother and I got to hear about him and his stories for Robert and to know that he was there for his brother. 
And then I know that my mom was there for my dad and uh, I was never alone in, in getting the opportunity to to look after two incredible people. And fortunately, Alan was one of the people along the way who was uh, so, so beneficial. Hey, so that's a, t- that's a form of legacy Maureen, too. Dan's parents. You there? Yes. Yes. They lived on school teacher salaries and in the 10 months that it took for that disease to consume my brother, they didn't come to visit him in Sarasota, Florida on an airplane once, not twice. They came five times. They were a very loving, loving couple. And um, what you're sitting next to or talking to from a distance, perhaps, is um, the fruit of that union. It's very beautiful. Very beautiful indeed. I could feel that in the book, for sure, that uh, the ways in which you cared for them, Dan, were related to what they showed you about how to care. Um, And getting back, there was one chapter I kind of already referenced with that student, Lynn, and that chapter is called, What If I Can't Give You What You Need? And I didn't want to sugarcoat anything. There were many times where my mom and I would butt heads. I, I think when you have a father like Buddy Kenner, when you're Maureen Kenner, it's, I think it's, <laughs> I think you might be the bad guy a little bit. And, <laughs> you know, my mom. Yeah. Moms mom tend to end up in that spot anyhow, right? <laughs> okay, maybe so. I mean, my my dad. Speaking of being the no. bad guy, Dan, I did find two typos on page 46. I got to go. Love you. <laughs> Thanks, Alan. <laughs> we'll, we'll leave that aside. <laughs> no, I'm going to have to talk to my editors about that one. <laughs> Someone told me recently there are typos in every book. We just, we just read past them typically. <laughs> but some of us see it. <laughs> and um, Alan would definitely be one of those people who would find it. <laughs> No, that's so cool. to listen on on my computer. To hear, to Thanks hear for calling voice, in. Uh, and okay. to know Bye-bye. some of the people that have just been kind of cheering me along. Um, you know, for as difficult as the situation has been, I've just never... Yes, there have been Saturday mornings where I'm laying in the fetal position listening to Adele. Uh, there have been other times <laughs> where I... move there. <laughs> I, I know it, it's true. It, it's hard to feel so alone when you have such a tight knit community and then you have people, you know, giving more to me than I've ever given to them. And it's uh, they're really, really powerful, powerful lessons about, you know, knowing, knowing the extent that some people are able to give of themselves and um, sometimes never get that in return has been such an eye opener for me about just how truly blessed I am. And I think that's to Alan's point. I think it's a a response because my mom and my dad gave so much of their lives to our community and they were such good people so that they kind of placed that foundation knowing, you know, because of what happened, I haven't felt alone purely because the community that my mom and dad gave to has been behind me every step of the way. And that is a, it's really big shoes to fill some days, and then other days it's um, it's truly a, a joy and a, mm-hmm. truly a blessing. And I and I I don't want to let anyone down, and that was another reason why I wanted to par- kind of dive in and write this book. And I didn't really realize it until I was done writing it. Is that it was a chance for me after my parents died to keep hearing their voices. 
you know, for the last year, I got to sit down. I got to go to work listening to my parents' voices. And not only was I able to listen to them, I was able to preserve them. And um, and it's been interesting now that it's over, you know, kind of figuring out where I'm going to get some of that reinforcement. There are many days where I only think of the sick memories and, and that's, and that's truly just like the last, you know, eight months or so it was, um, I, I mean, the word challenging doesn't even scratch doesn't, the surface. I'm sure it doesn't. And there are really some days where it is difficult to kind of go back into the huge canon of really happy memories. And, and sometimes some days the sick memories are the memories that come to mind first purely just because those were the, the trying and really difficult ones. But fortunately, like, you know, I have a a beautiful cousin, Catherine, who compiled many photographs for when both my mom and dad died. And, uh, you know, I'm able to look at that. And so I just, I have photos. And then the other thing, Cheryl, I mean, we haven't even talked about this is that, you know, the book is based on the oral history that I conducted with my mom. If need be, I have these voices readily available. And, you know, my ba- my dad's birthday was last week on November 5th. And besides from eating a chicken Caesar salad and drinking red wine and listening to a few good Bob Dylan songs, you know, I still- <laughs> you know what to do there, obviously. <laughs> oh, that's a, that's an easy recipe for me. <laughs> but I, I have their voices. So, you know, that's not scary to me. You know, I've told other people about it and they, they yeah, you know, that's a great idea and that's nice to have but I don't think I could listen to them. For me, I find, I find beauty in it. And I, I'm, I feel so fortunate that not only will I be able to listen to this, if I'm blessed enough to have a family that I will get to introduce my parents to them. And if it's not even through the voices, it'll get to be through this book, which I'm kind of considering as a, as an heirloom of my family now. So I I feel very blessed. I, you know, a few weeks ago, I was having three three bad days a week and four good days, and now I'm up to about five good days a week. And and today's uh, any day that I get to talk about Maureen and Buddy Kenner is a good day to me, and any day to hear Alan Handworker's voice is a good day. <laughs> you know, I was gonna where I was kind of headed headed was what's changed in you, but I think you just sort of answered that. You sound as if you're very aware of what they gave you. And maybe more so, I know with my parents, um, after they after their deaths, I became so much more cognizant of them as, as entire human beings. Uh, not that I didn't know what they did before that, but uh, I sort of saw them more whole. Mm. And um, I feel that somewhat, that that's going to develop in you because um, you have such reverence for the people they were in the world, not just for them as your parents. I feel feel truly blessed. And I think all of the kind of the good things about me kind of coalesced from my parents. You know, my dad was a lifetime entrepreneur. He was was a director. He was a jewelry maker. He was a, a restaurant owner and founder. He was a theater teacher, and so he kind of was 
he was eccentric and mischievous and rebellious and had so many passions. And many of those passions were his sons and his family and his wife. And then my mom, like I said, knew exactly what she wanted to do. And so I think that I have become a better version of myself when you, when you take the hard situations and you, and you, and you say yes, and you go along for that, and you open yourself up to heartbreak and disappointment, and you take an interest in those things around you, and you're unafraid, I think I am proud to say that I do feel older and wiser and stronger for taking the seat next to my parents and listening to the stories and looking them in the eye and holding their hand and, and being with them when they took their last breath. And I think, yes. I guess if I, you know, it's it, so simple, but the, I guess some of the things I've learned is that, you know, if you give respect, you're going to get respect. You need to treat others the way you need to be treated. And, and kindness matters. I, this book tour has really given me an opportunity to hear stories again about my parents. When people come up to me at the end, we're able to share a few moments at the book signing with people's kind of excitement and stories of my parents, but then it changes and they relate to me with stories of their own. And to me, that is my, I, I think that's going to be my new calling to, you know, I'm going to, I'm looking for something to do when the book is done. And I think that's the new thing. I'm so in love with people's stories and listening. And I just find myself captivated and I'm just so proud that I stood by and was able to kind of capture the stories and the lessons. And now I feel like I'm truly living some of their greatest lessons. And, you know, I, I was, I kept reminding myself that you're in fact uh, a very new griever in my, in my worldview. Mm. Um, my wife died in 1995, right? So, <laughs> couple of decades and plus some ago and uh, the way that her life shows itself in my life keeps changing mm -hmm. and so uh, I would love to check in with you in a couple of years I'll bet I'll bet what you just said will have taken shape uh, <laughs> the you know that this is going to turn into something and you all you have to do is sort of a uh, you know follow the breadcrumbs a little bit um, to figure out what that's going to be I'm I'm truly blessed, and I think room for grace truly is an opportunity. And now, just kind of, uh, you know, a map for me to to remember the good stories while also holding on to the really d difficult. That's a great place to end for today. I want to thank you a lot for being with me, Daniel. And uh, keep in touch. I want to know how this how this develops over time. You can find Daniel at roomforgrace.org. Next week, I'll have Deborah Grassman, founder of Opus Peace and author of two books about the end of life. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.